So with us today is Sarah Holman. And we, um, to, if you don't know who Sarah Holman is, you really should. Uh, Dr. Sarah Holman is the Clinical Product Marketing Director at Riverside Insights. You know, those are the people that print the Woodcock Jobs and are published the Woodcock Jobs. And she spent over 20 years in public education setting in the public education setting working as a bilingual teacher a educational diagnostician a dyslexia coordinator and a special education coordinator she received her phd in special education from texas women's university and she is a contributor to the set of resources that have been produced to help guide practitioners in the use of the csep which is the core select evaluation process model which is a selective process of assessment or assessment processes that uses a pattern of strengths and weaknesses to diagnose learning disabilities. So I have both books here. And, you know, Sarah, um, I think I think your supplement, the supplement book with all, with all your resources is a little thicker than the actual, you know, the 2.0 is like thicker than the one. So that often confuses me because I always want to go, always think the one is the two and the two is the one, but Anyway, <laughs> the overview and procedures is a little thinner than the supplement. <laughs> yeah, it, it the 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 methodology has evolved, and you know, as it does, we we kept sort of adding things. And so, when we went to create the supplement, um, we wanted to make sure that we were um, providing resources in every um, area or aspect of the framework. So it did get to be a little thicker and. And we included um, three reports in there as well, because that was a question we get quite frequently as to how how does this look in, in an actual written evaluation form? So absolutely. A lot of the researchers I talk to, you know, I tell them that people want to see something practical, a, a, a sample report or um, a form report and that, that they can kind of have an idea of what it looks like. So that's very helpful. Thank you. And so just to get started, um, I have pinned on the top a page, um, it's just a reference to a document from Region 20. It seems like Region 20 and you know, all the region centers are sort of in charge of different things, but it seems like Region 20 is kind of the one of official on, of all the region centers on referrals. So one of the things that kind of surprised me about it was that the first one on the document said that there needs to be evidence that a child received direct and explicit instruction and in things like phonics and reading fluency. Uh, so that's that's kind of, um, you know, these, I, I want to know, I want to research in this conversation, sort of, is there a standard and how, if not, how can we come to a standard and uh, how can we make our way towards the standard of, of a referral? So the, the referral process does seem very integral part of CSEP, the CSEP method. And you could say that I, I see that a lot of people can't seem to wrap their heads around doing CSEP because they're not used to this type of data analysis, especially if they've just been, you know, getting scores and putting them into a cross battery or some kind of um, profile. But um, to this, I've read that you said, that what seems like a radical departure from the current procedures quickly becomes second nature as a as the professional judgment uh, driven process begins to inform the way the data is integrated and analyzed. And we often find ourselves looking for that data because it isn't just given to us. So what information should we expect to receive? Are there 
resources that set that standard. Uh, and if we want to help our district to improve their referral process, what kinds of resources can we show our district um, as guides? Um, so I think, you know, the required information is guided by, you know, federal and state uh, regulation statutes, which that document that you referenced from Region 20 does a, a good job of sort of drawing the line from any kind of federal requirement or state requirement to what is included in the referral. Um, in terms of standardization, I think we kind of need to step back from our initial thought of, of giving um, our campuses or our districts forms to look at or some sort of standard way of approaching a referral and sort of start with a, an attempt to sort of orient them to what the evaluation process is and what we are doing when we conduct an evaluation. Because, you know, we find when, when you, you're a te we all were teachers, so it's, it was always more effective to sort of get that student buy-in as to understand why they were learning what they were learning or why you were asking them to do what you were asking them to do by sort of explaining its um, relevance to their, to their lives or their experience. And so I kind of feel like we have to take that, sim that same approach to our campuses or our districts by I think it's not so much that they don't want or would resist giving us information that we're requesting. I think part of it is that they don't understand how that informs the evaluation process. So I always kind of advocate for diagnosticians or evaluation personnel to sort of engage in some light sort of professional development surrounding um, disabilities, evaluation, specific learning disabilities specifically, um, so that we can start making that shift in teachers, administrators, district officials um, to from that sort of deficit oriented mindset of, of referral, like I have to make sure that this child is presented in such a way that it's clear that they are not functioning um, where we would expect them to function or they're not meeting grade level standards to to an understanding that a specific learning disability is more than just the presentation of specific academic skill deficits at that equally as important is evidence that this deficit is unexpected. So the 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 elements of the a typical referral um, are very much like I said that that deficit oriented presentation. Whereas I think what one of the missing elements that I found in that requirement for referral for, for from Region Twenty and something I think that is just as important as that we advocate for inclusion in our referral packets is evidence to support that 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 whatever that child is experiencing academically is surprising. Right, so we need to have um, aspects of a referral packet that enable those providers to talk to us about what they can do and what they're good at, so that when we go into it, we automatically we have the patterns of of underachievement, but we also are starting to be able to explore those patterns of 
intact ability that make those patterns of underachievement unexpected. Um, so I think the first step in sort of getting a, a, a adequate or um, robust referral packet is building that understanding of how that data is used. And I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, when I first started practicing, I gave my referral packets kind of a cursory once over, right? But I, and I didn't really revisit them until sort of after I'd conducted my evaluation to make sure everything kind of fit together. Um, so I think that it's, if, if that was something we had to do and, and sort of shift in our own practice, it's, it's not surprising that there would be some um, room for growth in the understanding of um, administrators and teachers as to what it is we do when we do that evaluation. Uh, all right, Zavonia has the next question. Hey there, how you doing? Good. All right, so here's my question for you. So what does the state of Texas or the law say about what should really be provided in the, in the referral? So if you look at that Region 20 document, you're going to find certain elements that are sort of required by the feds and then certain requirements that are specific to um, Texas administrative code. So basically, we're looking at things like those database documentation of repeated assessments and the fact that and the, the, the fact that those repeated assessments have been shared with the child's parents. So those are sort of the specific elements that are um, explicit to the Texas Administrative Code. Um, and then there are certain elements that are, you know, required by, by the Fed. And I think in addition to that, um, there needs to be, um, a place for for districts or schools to sort of um, include a sort of a longitudinal view of the student achievement. So not just what's happened in the last, you know, six weeks that led up the immediate lead up to the referral, but something that paints a, a more comprehensive picture of the student. Because it's only, you know, when we talk about CSEP, we talk about, you know, patterns of performance over time and that time element is so crucial and to be able to build that picture um, upon receipt of the referral rather than us having to go back and dig uh, you know in 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 their art in their cum folder or whatever to be able to find that information that we need right because i mean i was reading i love history and i just was reading about when the law was rewritten and they were saying that you really need sort of dynamic measures and dynamic meaning you're looking at how the kid performed in the past and how they're how they're growing at what rate they're growing and the rate of improvement was just really important so it's not the day anymore where we can just say next and bring a kid in and sit them down and say bye-bye and you know be able to say whether they have the learning disability or not because that wouldn't be dynamic without looking at all of the previous performance. Yeah, so if you think about, you know, what patterns are, and we, we talk about this when we, 
when we train CSEP is that, you know, the patterns are, are repetitive and they're predictive. So you can't necessarily establish that something is repeating itself unless you have multiple data points that are indicating a similar performance over time. Um, and so, you know, gone are the days that we make determinations based on that one snapshot of a two hour or two and a half hour formal testing session, um, which is a very good thing, but it results in our, um, our ability to have the information we need to be able to extract those patterns from the students' um, referral information. So, um, you know, when I put your the ad on the bilingual diagnostician site, everybody was pretty excited. So, if you're a bilingual diag, you know, give a little way here, here with your emojis. But um, I, I just want to ask a little bit about being a bilingual diagnostician and gathering information in the referral. I, 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 t for me, I know I look for a few different things in addition to. A child who's not bilingual, but I thought maybe you could share a little bit with us about the sort of things you would look for in a referral if the child is bilingual. Yeah, so I think um, I want pieces of information that are going to enable me to build a comprehensive language profile of the student. So that includes you know, language proficiency testing, it includes school program history in terms of was this child receiving instruction in a bilingual program, a dual language program, ESL, what kind of ESL, um, language use. Um, so what languages do they speak with whom, where, um, language exposure. Um, so both formal and sort of informal information that's going to allow me to really understand this child's linguistic competencies. Because it's only when I have a comprehensive language profile am I going to be able to make the best decisions in terms of administering any kind of formal assessment. Um, so that is one component of it. And I think we are always wanting to compare students to their peers, right? That peer comparison component of evaluation is, is a really essential part. But I think for kiddos that are um, uh, learning English as a second or third language, that becomes even more important because of some of the limitations with some of our standardized testing and, and the norm samples and things like that. And so um, that's another key component that I look for for in a um, referral is what what is happening with all of the other kids that may have a similar um, language background exposure proficiency and and can I sort of within the classroom or within the grade level sort of establish my own kind of comparison group so that it can help me uh, understand if what I'm seeing with the child I'm assessing, if if their patterns of performance are sort of typical of that group or or atypical. Um, so I think those are are a couple of elements in addition to all of our standard stuff that I really look for when I'm looking um, at a, a referral for a student who is 
learning English as a second language or a third language? So I, I like to, you know, my, my thing is I love curriculum-based measures and I really feel that they do inform decisions about instruction. And we know that schools should be using them to determine when children should be referred to special education or to have some access to some certain interventions. But in your experience, um, what are some some of the barriers? I noticed that, you know, progress monitoring and curriculum-based measures are mentioned on some of the forms that you recommend and or that I've, I've seen in other places as well. What do you what do you think are some of the barriers to schools collecting this type of data? Um, because I feel like they feel like they are collecting the right kind of data, but we don't have that one piece of really a progress monitoring data. Yeah, so I think it kind of um, relates back to that um, tension between sort of district level requirements and then what is perceived as sort of an additional expectation placed on teachers. And we know that, you know, there's so much right now on their plates and they're dealing with so much. I think in many cases, the um, the request or the um, expectation or the desire for them to do one more thing um, is often met with with quite a bit of resistance. So again, it's, I have to give map or I have to give iStation and yet and now you're asking me to do something else. And um, I think it sort of goes back to what I was talking to about earlier is if they can understand how that really helps in the process, you may have additional buy-in. But I think some of the resistance is um, it's just one more thing that they just don't feel like they have the capacity to do. Um, I think sometimes it's also um, you know, back in the day when uh, Dr. Stevens was my professor at Texas Women's, she used to make us create our own um, CBMs, you know, cutting and pasting. And this is, you know, aging me. But now there's um, uh, generation, the uh, things you can generate online and things like that. So I think part of it may be just a lack of, of understanding how or how to or knowledge of how to access some of these things. Um, I also think that sometimes teachers feel like they're collecting data for collecting data sense, and they don't necessarily see how that's being used to drive decisions. And so again, helping them understand just what this information tells us and ultimately how it can influence for the better student outcomes um, might lead to that. But I, I think at the end of the day, it's essentially a, a, a bandwidth issue for teachers. They just don't feel like they have room to do one more thing. Right. Um, I, you know, one of the most popular CBM authors is Haas Hospin Howell. They have a book called The ABCs of CBM. And one of their quotes is, CBM is not something additional to do. CBM is an alternative to other procedures you may already be doing. And one of the things I've heard um, people say, you know, is that we don't want to overtest kids. Nobody wants to overtest kids. But I think the definition of overtesting is when you're not using the information to, for anything. You know, anything that we 
a test, it only it helps us to guide instruction and not be over testing because it's helping. But I think yeah, definitely it has to come from the top. Uh, and right. Like, yeah. Just have yeah. To those discussions. I think that's the main thing is the discussions. Yeah, because although we know that it can be not a supplement or in addition to it can be in a replacement for we know that teachers might buy even buy into that but the the mandates for specific instruments and administrations comes from you know much higher above that that those are the people that we need to be engaging in these discussions right all right Savannah, you want to do the last question yeah. all right so i, I this is but before I get to the question, really quickly, I know that on the not so often occasions that I get a really great referral packet that includes like just wonderful information that tells me like what happened with the for the last few years. It gives me grades. It gives me work samples. I know that for me, I'm like, wow, they have been really trying quite a few strategies with the student. And I can see in these areas, they've still been having like some difficulty. Can you tell me if there's any research that connects having a certain amount of data in the referral uh, to the reliability of identifying children with learning disabilities? You know, that's a great question. And I am not aware of any research that that makes a correlation between sort of quality of referral packet and the um, quality or the accuracy of any kind of identification. Although if anyone is out there looking for a dissertation topic, I think that would be a really, really great one to, 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 to investigate. Um, I mean, it does, this is not a scientific or a quantitative answer, but it does kind of make sense that the more information that you are taking into consideration, the more robust the patterns right so the more repetitive of a perform pattern of performance you can establish um and the more the more likely that the identification or lack thereof of a, a disability uh, would be something that um, is accurate um or sort of according to you know the definition of the SLD. Um, but I don't, I'm not, to answer your question, I don't know of any of research, but I think that's, it would be a fascinating place, uh, area of study for sure. All right. So will like not research base, do you think that the numbers are prevalence of children that have been identified with a certain method that it gives validity to the method that's, that's being used? Um, you know, I think, all right, so just so that I can I'm understanding your question, are you saying that if the the frequency with which a certain methodology identifies a disability, does that make that methodology more um, accurate? Is that what you're asking? Yes, because I, I was reading about that and um, I guess I was reading some work that, that um, Doug Morrison did around the time that the law was rewritten and it was like they were trying to, when they rewrote it, they were trying to find ways to not, because of the referrals had just, the special education identification had grown to like over 200% of what it was before. And so they were actually trying to find a way 
to identify students so that it would get down to like 8%. So, um, so they, that's why they added like the tier three on top of the tier two, because they wanted to get down to that like 8%. But, um, and I've, I kind of think that like people, I mean, I go to the, like, the learning disability, um, the council on learning, the national council on learning disabilities, and they say like one in five should be identified with learning disabilities, but when I show that with parents, they're they're like, "Well, I thought learning disability was really rare, you know." And then, you know, Doctor Doctor Schultz is also often talking about, you know, a a um, hold on a second. Not often talking about how you know um, differences in cognitive patterns should be rare. And that would be a, a a signal to you that. Um, that that the diagnosis of a learning disability would be more, um, you would think that it's a learning disability if it's more rare. So if we if we're like if if we have a method and it's like just identifying too many kids, like you know how how do we know it's too many, and does that make it more valid if it's less? <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, I mean I think it, it, to me it sort of points to sort of a systemic flaw in the education system because if if you if you think that learning disabilities are you know 25 percent or one in five um and our only mechanism for helping those kids is through special education then of course our numbers are going to sort of explode. But if you see it as something super, super rare and you put all these mechanisms in to sort of gatekeep those services, I don't I don't necessarily, I think we're, I think the bottom line is our system needs to be adjusted so that we can account for learning differences in other ways other than just via special education services and identification with a with a label right and so we should be able to respond to different learning challenges in a way that doesn't include um you know placing kiddos in a, a program as the only way for them to get the the help um and support that they need i don't necessarily think that the identification rate of a model lends its lends it that validity or 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 um accuracy i think that the inclusion of multiple sources of data in whatever model that you're applying is what's going to lend that validity to it because it's more likely to yield a accurate identification got it so okay here we go i'm going to change a pen here because you have something sort of i, I thought maybe um tammy would join us but i'm I yeah she got caught up she sends her uh regards and apologies but i'll i'll do my best to to speak to this um so we know that evaluators spend a, a a disproportionate amount of time sort of chasing down information that we need um, to be able to um, 
yeah. analyze and include all of these data points in, in our evaluations. And so uh, there's been a, a, a program, a software program in development um, called Bosco that it, it kind of can be categorized as a data retrieval mechanism. So it coordinates and communicates with student management systems and all other data repositories and pulls that information in and sort of streamlines that collection process. And so it's not just a, a data retrieval program, it will, but it will do that. But it also helps with that initial analysis. So it can um, sort of compare and analyze those sources of data to help you um, understand those initial patterns of performance. So for example, if there's a mechanism in the program that will consider certain flagged items um, as indicators of a specific exclusionary factor and will sort of make a determination of whether that exclusionary factor may need to be considered as the primary cause for the student's learning disability. Or it will take all of the reading related information and sort of categorize that area of academics as a, a strength or a weakness. So it will, because, you know, computers are much more efficient um, with that kind of thing and faster than than the human brain, um, it, it allows us to sort of pull all of that information together fairly quickly and start that analysis process. And it works again with, with management systems and, and things like that. Um, so we're piloting it in a few districts. Um, if you are interested in having your district pilot or learning more about it, um, I think at the pinned at the top, um, there's an email that you can send um, your information to and you can schedule a demo and learn more about it. But it was designed in response to what evaluators were saying about having to sort of track down and chase down and find information. Um, and this was a, a, an attempt to sort of streamline that process and jumpstart the data analysis uh, process as well. Yeah, you all are always looking out for us. We really appreciate it. <laughs> if you can't see the flyer on the pin at the top, you might need to swipe your screen down from the top. Just do a little quick hold and swipe, um, and then it will refresh. So it's swipe down to refresh, and then you'll see, because I just changed the, the pin at the top. Um, and when you change some things, sometimes you got to swipe down and refresh to see the new, new information. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know you guys were already this far along on this project. Um, it, yeah, it's been a labor of love. Um, it is a really uh, cool um, idea and just kind of uh, an attempt to, like I said, solve that problem um, and kind of what we would have sort of envisioned it as, as an automated review step, right? So if you think about the CSIP framework and you've got your review step first, all of that sort of um, collection and initial analysis of the data occurs through this software program that then just kind of um, accelerates 
your ability to go on to those um, the, the the subsequent stages of, of the CSEP process. So have you guys tried it out and what's been your experience with it? What, what kind of like data collection did get access from that district and then um, do, how did you use that data to make decisions? So we, we don't, we're just in the very initial processes of, of having it be utilized in, in some smaller districts. So we don't have um, at this moment any kind of feedback on that because it just is, just is starting. Um, but the, the idea is, you know, in these pilot um, pilots to, you know, work out the implementation kinks and really make it as responsive to the needs of districts and evaluators as possible. And you're, you're piloting it in like two, two districts, right? I th yeah, I, th I think it's, I think it's two. Um, I can verify that with Tammy, but I think it's, it's two. Uh -huh. Well, it'd be great if you guys can, after you get your feedback, come back and tell us. I mean, I don't know that all of us, unless we're, some of us are uh, maybe supervisors or something and might have the ability to sort of purchase, but, um, you know, a lot of us are just diagnosticians that have to use whatever our district, you know, provides us. But I definitely have, you know, made my district aware that there's this, you know, this uh, ap application that we could, you know, possibly benefit from. So, mm -hmm. We'll see. Yeah, we will. Sh we'll be certain to share any updates as we get them. What are your some besides this? Are there other projects you're working on, Sarah? That what we might be interested in knowing more about? How we can follow? How can we follow your projects and your work and all that? Um, I mean, we're. I guess right now in the process of developing. A, I know Dr. Stevens put out an on-demand. Um, basic CSEP course. Um, and we have been running in-person sort of advanced um, CSEP courses, sort of in-person um, cohorts. But where what I'm working on right now is making that series of um, sessions, the advanced mo modules um, on demand. So it can be accessed through an LMS and sort of um, progress through on uh, your own time and schedule rather than committing to an in-person um, meeting, you know, once a week or for four for weeks. So that's um, something that I'm working on right now. Um, other than that, I don't really have much well, that's in the works. There to make everything on demand and more easily accessible. Right. Right. Yeah. So um, we just uh, published today Tammy's Beyond the Score sessions for Riverside Insights. So be sure to check those out for some professional learning opportunities that's going to that are coming up this fall. Um, and yeah, so check be checking Riverside if you're not subscribed to our um, email list. Um, so that you get notified of our webinars and such, make sure you do that too, because we'll have some um, good things coming up for um, Dyslexia Awareness Month and 
um, we have a really interesting session on um, autism and sort of motivation in high school students that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you're checking out our website too for those. So those are, you know, free and um, not heavy time commitments and really good opportunities to sort of um, get some professional development in. Yeah, and before we leave, since we're talking about referral packets, I just wanted to sort of give people um, an idea of where they can find some referral resources. Um, well, I mean, of course, top of the list is you know, your CSEP 2.0, um, which has lots of um, forms and things. But you, you say that there's like a difference between, which is some of these things I really didn't know was that you have these forms that are looking at these patterns, but they're not all to make your hypothesis, but they're not always for the referral to receive with the referral. They're also just, you could do it after you get the referral to, to sort of determine the hypothesis and, and make your, um, and, and determine your plan after you receive the referral as well. Right. Yeah. So the forms that are included in the supplemental measures, um, the working hypothesis documents, were adapted from some forms that we had found from Portland Public Schools, which were used at the time to sort of um, generate intervention um, ideas and things like that. So what I try to do, because I knew that sometimes the information that we're getting in referrals wasn't complete or it wasn't quite enough, um, I tried to make more explicit um, correlations between how kids may present in the classroom in a, in a particular area and the cognitive processes that are associated with that. So if you use those documents, you can sort of read through the, the functional manifestation or what does sort of the, it look like. And then if that's a checked behavior, you can look over and see what the cognitive correlates are to that or what what cognition cognitive processes could be influencing that to make sure that you then incorporate that into your formal testing plan so it can be used in that way to sort of help plan the assessment it also is a way to it can provide sort of a, a more formal guidance to sort of those follow-up interviews to for a teacher um, to sort of help them or help you understand what's happening in the classroom. So you can use that as a guide for some of those interviews with teachers or those follow-up conversations to really kind of hone in on where the, the area of, of need or deficit are. And then alternatively, those areas that um, they're showing, you know, intact abilities or even strengths in. Yeah, so I, I got the book open right now and I've just got like working hypothesis and planning form for basic reading, for example. And then it says check if applies and it has the academic indicators and then it says phonological and it has auditory processing and phonetic coding and parentheses. And then you've got a whole list of things that you would check if they apply. And there are things like um, problems identifying the sound of a letter, problems segmenting, blending, or blending two or more words or two or more sounds, sorry. Difficulty identifying or producing words that rhyme. Difficulty identifying and producing sounds within words. So there's a whole list of things there. And then you have academic indicator for orthographic or visual processing orthographic coding. 
And then you've got things like forgets how letters look, confuses letters with similar appearance, misreads little words in text, reverses letters when writing. So those are some examples. And then on the back, you have a whole list of the possible related cognitive area of processing that goes with some of these difficulties. So like, for example, difficulty finding the right word to say, so our slow labored or limited amount of speech, you say that the, the um, cognitive area that would go with that would be like comprehension knowledge, language development, or let's see, um, difficulty learning the days of the week and months of the year in sequence might be related to retrieval fluency and naming facility. So um, this, the, so you can have teachers sort of check these off with you in sort of like a teacher interview and then figure out which cognitive areas you really need to start with, right? Right. So I think the disc because teachers are not necessarily going to be able to articulate the the child has difficulties with uh, retrieval fluency or whatever, but they will be able to describe to you what the child can and can't do very functionally. So that will then allow you to connect what they're describing to possible areas that you'll need to investigate. And so one of the reasons that we we added those forms. Another reason is that, you know, a lot of times we get referral questions, reading difficulties, math difficulties, it has a hard time writing or whatever. And so we were often over testing because we didn't know what area of reading were they suspecting the disability in. So those working hypothesis documents are designed to also try to help you pinpoint what specific area within math? Is it problem solving? Is it calculation? What specific area within reading? Fluency, basic reading, reading comprehension is the area of suspected disability if, you, if that imp information isn't apparent um, immediately in the referral. Sorry for telling you. Uh, I've also gone to that Portland um, website and just also seen those there, but then realized this is sort of more extensive and um, like if you want a simpler view just for maybe just for the teachers, that one, but if you really want to kind of analyze everything and know what kind of cognitive areas to look at, I think these are, are good, but even, even TEA has a recommended referral form that wants you to sort of describe a lot of these things. I just put in the TEA referral form and there's like pages of, of a referral form that they recommend there. And then um, Region 10 had, I have, a, I have a Region 10, Amy can tell me more about that, she's here. Um, there's a Region 10 referral form also. Um, I think that Lori told me about, but yeah. So, I mean, those are all you know resources if you kind of want an idea of how much is sort of reasonable to, to um, ask for, maybe present that with, to your district to say, you know, hey, let's just talk about our referral forms and making sure that they're aligned with sort of our assessment processes. That's another big thing is, um, and I guess that's why you're saying, Sarah, that we need to make sure that they sort of understand the reasons behind why we're asking these questions because it does sort of align. We do have to get that to align with our assessment process to make it very efficient, right? Right. I mean, our referral packets, are stuck in the discrepancy model age. 
I think they, it's sort of designed to present the child as as low as possible, um, thinking that you know that is what's going to um, end more like more likely to end with it with an identification. So I think we need to bring our referral packets sort of up to speed with what the field has discovered about specific learning disabilities. Um, I don't think, I think there's a disconnect there. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, um, <laughs> I just wanted Amy to tell more about um, what she's got going on at Region 10 regarding CSAP. So I think I had her up on the on top of the state on the stage and then there we go. Um, and then somehow she took herself out. Trying to get her back up here. <laughs> yeah, there we go, Amy. Invite. Already been invited. Already been invited. Well, until Amy figures out how to, and I don't know if she's got her notifications off, maybe that might be a reason. But um, Region 10 does have a full day of CSEP next Friday in both in-person and virtual. So that's in the chat from Amy. Um, I'm sure Amy can also, um, if you want to leave her a voice message now, because you can't back channel anymore, but you can leave a voice message if you're interested. I'm sure she'll give you all the information. And I'm sure you could go to the Region 10 website and find out more about it as well. Uh, and it is with Dr. Schultz and Dr. Stevens. So um, check that out if you're interested. And uh, I didn't know. Let's try one more time. <laughs> While you're trying, um, we, Dr. Stevens and I did sort of put together a sample referral packet um, that we've used in a lot of our trainings. Um, and so we have a blank one of those as well that I think if you email Dr. Stevens, she can, she can send um, out as well. Well, that would be awesome. All right. Well, I really thank you for joining us and giving us some kind of insight on um, sort of the status of the referral packet and what kinds of things we should look for, what makes a good referral, what what kinds of patterns, you know, just not just the patterns in the in the learning right now, but the patterns over time is, I think, one big message that I've learned from this. And, yeah. And, and just the other thing is, is um making sure that we in our our referral packets we're asking for things that help us demonstrate what the child can do well because it's so crucial to to establishing that unexpected underachievement right their their strengths yeah how that could also lend to sort of um some i guess benefits in their learning if we maximize those strengths Oh, okay, here she said, didn't see the button. All right, let's try one more time. Already been invited. <laughs> it should be in your notifications, Amy. Oh, well. She was up here for a second, somehow got out. Well, Amy, I'm sure everybody will contact you. <laughs> Don't see <laughs> the button. All right, it, it, this is, like I said, the app is going through some changes, so there might be some glitches in it. I apologize, but we will work them all out. I'll make sure I'll talk to the uh, the goobers that may 
Clubhouse. They're always taking suggestions, so we'll keep updating on them on that. <laughs> oh, she's got an email, amy.smith at region10.org. So you can try that. There you go. All right, thanks again, Sarah. And we'll keep in touch. Always looking forward to seeing the new things that y'all have coming out and the fact that y'all are always looking out for us as diagnosticians. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It was good to talk to you. You too.